So as we get into this, you can turn uh, to Jeremiah 29. That's where we'll be today if you have your Bibles and want to follow along. We're going to be looking at the reality that many of us need to face, that our, our church, the church of Jesus Christ, not Pathway, but the church in general, uh, especially in North America, has lost a lot of its relevancy. It's lost a lot of its way. It's not because God is irrelevant. It's not because Jesus' is church is actually irrelevant. It's his bride. It's beautiful. It's, it's actually what he's returning for. The problem is sometimes we have lost our way and lost sight of what the church is really supposed to be, what it means to be the people of God and, and, and to be together in that and on mission in the ways that, that he calls and asks of us. One of the ways that we live that out together is obviously our life groups, our classes, our Celebrate Recovery ministry, our women's ministry, our men's ministry. Anybody involved in any of those? Could I hear you for a minute? It's been awesome to watch what God is doing. And tomorrow night, men, uh, come out. Men's ministry kicks off. We've got a food truck. We're going to feed you uh, both physically and spiritually. And uh, you're going to have a chance to talk to some other guys. So we would love to have you uh, be a part of that. And a lot of what we're looking at over the next few weeks with our men in this season is even more, how do we put skin on this idea of being God's people on mission together? So we'd love to have you a part of that. You see, some of my journey is actually going back to a place where I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing about Jesus, knowing about Jesus, but not necessarily knowing Jesus. Not really knowing who he was, not knowing his plans for my life, even really misunderstanding what church was. And there was a work God had to begin doing in my life in my late teen years. It was around 18, 19 years old when God started stirring. In fact, I, I brought two Bibles with me today. Three, actually. The one I'm going to use and then two I wanted to show you. This one here was given to me by uh, one of my high school football coaches as I graduated. And, and I remember receiving this from, from that coach and going, ha, that's nice. Like, thinking to myself, like, I'm going to read that in college, right? Like, I'm going to pay attention. I'm, I'm just being honest. Some of you have dusty Bibles, yeah? Okay. Safe place. <laughs> so I had this and couldn't let go of it. It's not because I read it. It's not because I used it to get to know the Lord. But everywhere I went, it went with me to the point that it stayed with me all these years. Now, this Bible is not necessarily marked up because it was never really read. It was not something that, that represented a time in my life where I was really getting to know Jesus and what he was about. But you know what? This Bible is something different. This Bible here is the Bible that when I surrendered my life to Christ at around 19, I called home and said, hey, I need a good Bible. I need a good study Bible. This Bible has stayed with me all these years, and it is marked up through and through. Uh, I, I use other ones now, but I have never let go of this because it represents when God began moving in my heart in a way that said, I'm real, I'm alive, I have plans for you. This is the Bible that, that in many ways represents get God getting in and beginning to pull out the stuff that was standing in the way, the stuff that had kept me from him. 
the stuff that needed healing and restoration. And so as we get into this today, you know, Jeremiah 29, 7, let me just give you this verse, because a lot of where we're headed comes out of this general idea, and it's throughout scripture. It's, it's a word shalom that is Hebrew and, and is often used as a greeting, but, but it has much more depth in meaning. It's actually in many ways present from Genesis to Revelation when we understand how God wants to bring his shalom back into our world. In the New Testament, the word erene is used. Very similar words, very similar meanings. So here in verse 7, here's what it says. It's, but it says, seek the welfare, that's the word shalom, of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord for on its behalf, for in its welfare, its shalom, you will find your welfare or shalom. There's an author and pastor, Terry McGonigal, that says this. He says, the antithesis of shalom, the word we just heard, the call from God to seek shalom and to find ours as we help others find theirs, right? That's what it just said. He says, the antithesis, the opposite, always causes oppression and injustice, inevitably leading to chaos and destruction. Do we see any of that in our world today? I mean, we live in a very broken world, chaotic, full of destruction and injustice, things that are just wrong. He says, Adam and Eve, Abraham and his family, Israel in the wilderness wandering, the nation during the time of the judges, all learned that tragic lesson the hard way. No family, no clan or tribe, no culture nor nation will flourish if their life is based on anything other than the covenant relationship with the creator, redeemer, God. Whoo, church. There is something going on in our world that is incredibly broken. And our hearts are drawn often in, in ways to its allure and captivity. That, that's where idolatry begins to happen. Idolatry is simply placing something else first ahead of God, worshiping something else, whether it's our bank account, a relationship, uh, a career path, our education, that, is, that breaks that relationship with God. And the idea is God wants to restore that. He wants to invite us in to this new relationship that, that we begin to then come to him and, and let go of things of the past, that we become agents of his change. And I want to tell you, church, it's happening. It's happening in our midst. This last month has been incredible in our church. We have seen God moving and bringing freedom, inviting us out of places of idolatry, places that had had us bound into something new. Come on, church, where are you at? God is inviting us into something new and something fresh. And I'm here to tell you, it's just the beginning. That's the message title today. It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of God's movement in our lives to the next level, whether you're five years old or you're a hundred years old. Did you catch in Eleanor's video that at a hundred she is still learning? If that doesn't humble you, then you need to chew on it a little more because it should. She's a hundred years old, still learning, still able to say it's just the beginning of this new season. 
So let, let's take this further. Look at verse 4 through 6. We're going to back up a few verses and give this some context and some understanding. Uh, in verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so I need to explain this. God's people had been captured by the Babylonian Empire. They were carried into captivity. They're now living literally as captives and slaves in a foreign land. They are exiles in a place that they didn't want to be, didn't choose to be, but God is showing up in that space and telling them in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this moment of captivity, here's how I want you to live as my people. Verse 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. God tells them they're to live in the midst of this place, that it's just the beginning. If you're taking notes, it's just the beginning. Live freely for God's purpose, purposes, even in cultural captivity. Even in cultural captivity. And I use that phrasing intentionally. I, I can remember the moment where God began to move in my life to help me to see that my faith was meant to impact Monday through Saturday. That, that actually Jesus was moving in such a way that, that he wanted to invite me into a life that was lived freely for him throughout the week. Did you catch that he said, plant gardens, build houses, have kids, multiply freely. I, I mean, sometimes we need to be reminded that how we live during the week is meant to be his. That, that God actually cares about how we live during the week, how we show up in our homes, how we show up in our neighborhood, how we show up in the workplace. How'd you do this week? Maybe you're not working anymore. And for you, it's just that HOA board. How'd you show up this week when they did something you didn't like, right? I, I mean, here's the reality, like how we live during the week. God says, live freely for me. And then how we live can be an act of worship. It's a part of being his and being the church. There's also this reality of cultural captivity. They were held by Babylon. We are held, whether we want to admit it or not by political forces, social forces, governmental forces, capitalistic forces. Do I need to go on? That in many ways are anti-Christ and anti-kingdom. That in many ways present us with a contrast and try to hold us captive culturally. And we could spend hours talking about this moment in time and how we are truly in a fallen world. And we see glimmers of hope and glimmers of God at work in each of the spaces I just met, mentioned. Socially, government, in business. Like we could see moments of truth emerging and moments of hope. But at the end of the day, none of it will ever stand up the way the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ 
is meant to. That we're called to be his people, even if everything around us is saying the opposite. So church, we've got to find our freedom. We've got to find our voice. We've got to live more boldly and with his love in ways that share the truth and don't back down to the cultural forces that we find ourselves coming up against. We need to do it with his heart. A heart that honestly stretches when you look at verse 7 again. Verse 7 again says, Seek the welfare, the shalom of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf or in its welfare you will find your welfare. If you're taking notes, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Seek shalom together and you will find yours. You see, as we make a decision to say, God, we need your shalom, your peace in the middle of captivity, we also then hear from the Lord that we are to be a people that seeks the shalom. Did you catch it? Not when we're evac, not when we're rescued, but in the middle of cultural captivity. That actually we're to be salt and light. Whew. Anybody else heard that one from Jesus? That we're to be a people filled with hope on our tongue, filled with his light and love and life. That we're to bless our enemies. Y'all, this, this passage, I've spent a, t- a lot of time in this passage over the last 15 years, 16 years now, dwelling in it, thinking about it, and, and looking at the whole of Scripture. And it always shakes me every time I realize that In a moment, you'll see this. He says, you're going to live like this for 70 years. You can't microwave your way out of this, (laughs) right? You can't escape the fact that God's timing is different than ours and that some of us have fallen captive in this cultural moment to losing our stuff. That we've lost our shalom. And we've lost our ability to represent Christ well as a result. Because he doesn't seem rattled or shaken. He's able to stand for truth and and do it with grace and love and a peace that only comes from him. And we're to be a people that do that together. And that's the beauty of this, that word together. Because I could tell you, there were, when this verse, verse 7, started burning in my soul back in 2006 and 7, there was an individualistic lens that I viewed much of it through. And it took me a few years to realize that, that this passage wasn't written just to Brian Bennett. It wasn't just written or spoken through a guy named Jeremiah in the Old Testament who was the prophet who wrote it that it was actually given to God's people that we're to do this together so that when you've lost your shalom, somebody else can help pick you up and encourage you and love you. That's what the body of Christ is meant to be. And part of where we've lost our way is we've allowed a culture that is about rugged individualism to isolate us even within the church in ways that are not God's design. Yes, Jesus loves you and he saves you. 
But he saves you to be a part of the family of God with the new brothers and new sisters. That's the beauty of life is we get to do it together. So this idea of shalom is something, again, that we often, we hear the word and we tune out. But I want you to tune in today. I want you to tune in in new ways. And we are a, a church, my heart and our, our heart, I believe, is to encourage and equip you. So if you go back a, a little over a month or so, our, our staff spent some time, our leadership, looking at a short video clip from the Bible Project. And, and I've never shown one of these on a Sunday, but I'm going to for two reasons. You ready for them? The first is I want you to know that the Bible Project is a great resource to help equip and encourage you, okay? And, and you can access it anytime. And if you're like, well, that's where Pastor got this. Yep, I did. <laughs> I've given him credit. I don't need to be like seen as, oh, he knows so much, the sage on the stage. Like, that's not my thing, okay? My heart is to equip you, to encourage you, and if I can help you find the Lord during the week in new ways, fresh ways, and this helps, praise God for that. Secondly, how it explains shalom throughout scripture in, the, in, in about three and a half minutes is well worth our time today and well worth the invitation so we understand what does it mean to do this together because if we do this together, we're going to find ours and it's going to make all the difference in the world. Let's go ahead and play the clip. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene, 
Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Amen. Isn't that good? Hey, thanks for watching. <laughs> hey, th thank you for doing it. They said thanks for watching if you caught that. Uh, yeah, that is what shalom is. It's an invitation from brokenness to wholeness that individually we need, that Jesus ushers in to take our brokenness, some of which we're aware of, some of which in the journey he begins to make us aware of, at each season, he knows what we can handle, and it's an invitation for healing and restoration and freedom and his wholeness. But then it's also this reality that together we're meant to share that. And, and most of us know and have been in situations where that's not what's happening, right? I mean, I mean sometimes we can come into settings where even in the church, where it feels more like condemnation and judgment, feels more like here's all the things you're doing wrong and that are still broken with you, anybody? And, and while we need to be discerning and follow the Spirit's leading and His conviction, we need to recognize that with His grace and mercy, He invites us forward into this wholeness He wants to give us. And, and here's the deal. If you're like, eh, I don't know about all this. Well, he's coming back someday for this reason. So between now and then, you'll probably get on board with it. But if not, you'll have a really cool moment with Jesus. When he says, hey, surprise, everything you've been resisting and fighting all these years, here it is. Here's your shalom. You're whole. You're healed. You can dwell with your brothers and sisters and with me in peace, just like the garden had. So with that, there is this other reality that comes with it. In a fallen world, in cultural captivity, we will face a lot of lies. Some of those emerge in our own mind, our own thought processes that are still broken. Some of those come directly from sources Names, news outlets, social media feeds. Sometimes it's religious leaders. Yeah, I'm one of them. But hopefully, one of those that is sharing the truth of God, right? Because anything that's said, even from a religious leader, needs to go through 
not your filter of all the things you were taught, because you probably were taught a number of things that you think are in the Bible, but actually aren't there. It's a tradition. It's a saying that your family or your church family had. But everything needs to come back to Scripture. And what does Scripture say? Does it line up? Does does it come under the authority of God's word? Because that's where we find his truth and we find the promises and the hope that gets us beyond the lies. So let's look at the next few verses, verse 8 through 11. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Part of the lies they were receiving was that their captivity was going to be short. That God was going to immediately rescue them. And, and all of these things would have obviously led to great discouragement and confusion in their relationship with the Lord. So he's saying, listen, it's going to be 70 years. That's like three generations, right? It's going to be a minute. So don't believe the lies. Be patient with the process and trust the God of the process and his promises. Verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Some of you have verse 11 on a wall, piece of wall art. You, you've put it on a card. It's an incredible promise from God, isn't it? That he knows the plans and the future and the hope that he has for us. And we need to hold on to that, but we also need to realize the context in which that verse emerges. That it's in the middle of dealing with situations and things that you don't want, you didn't ask for, but God says, don't listen to the lies, listen to my truth. I've got a plan. This is just the beginning. In this case, it's going to take 70 years. So let me ask you, are you listening to lies, and God's saying, ignore the lies if you're taking notes and listen to my promises. What would that look like for you to begin to actually maybe even take a piece of paper and write down what are some of the repetitive lies that seem to come your way? Things that have to do maybe with your brokenness or the brokenness in the world. I'm not enough. No one will ever love me. It's going to happen again. I'll always be this way. There's no hope. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And here's what I would ask as your pastor, as somebody who cares deeply about you, is do what I've been learning to do the last few years is to write those things down, to name them, to not hide from them, to, but to bring them into the light. Because in the light, what we reveal, God can heal. And you then take that same sheet of paper and you take the word of God and you find the promises of God to counter each lie. Because there, I promise you, in God's word, is a verse 
or a set of verses that will speak to every lie that the enemy has been trying to get us to believe. And his truth transforms and renews our mind. It changes us and gives us peace of mind and wholeness in ways that nothing else can. And it's available for us. This is why the contrast between these two Bibles, as I shared earlier, is so significant. Because I had it with me, but I didn't use it. When I started to use it, God started to change and transform me and renew me and give me peace. And he continues to this day. Back in January, we had an amazing moment towards the beginning of our fast. I want to show you a picture of this. Uh, This is one of the two walls that we had up here at the altars. And in both services, we we offered the opportunity to come forward and and to write down on labels some of the lies, some of the things that, that were holding us captive, that were chaining us, keeping us from freedom, keeping us from growing with the Lord. And hundreds of these were filled out between the two services. Now, what's so amazing about what you see here is we committed then that our prayer, house of prayer, our staff, our leaders, that we would be praying over these for the whole month. Believing that God was going to replace every lie with his truth and bring freedom. Amen? And I got a message over the last few days from some of our House of Prayer leaders from Thursday night. And they actually were taking these off and praying over them. And I think they saw what I saw, which was there was complete vulnerability. Like, that was so moving to read these anonymous words that were not sugar-coated. Deep things that we're struggling with. And the freedom that comes when we can bring it to the Lord, but also bring it together and pray and believe the promises of God is what the church is supposed to be. You see, maybe you've been around churches where you you hit all that stuff. How'd that work? Because what I've learned is like brokenness tends to show up at some time. Like mine does, right? You're like, yeah, it does, Pastor. <laughs> I, I mean, in many ways, it's like, you know, you've heard the analogy of, uh, of a beach ball and, and trying to hold it underwater, and eventually that beach ball's going to pop out because of a thing called buoyancy. Well, sin, brokenness, has kind of the same effect. And so what we're learning together is to ignore the lies, to find the promises of God, and to bring it into the light together. And to find freedom, amen? Because God has more. God has better. God has a plan and a hope for your future. Last thing I want to show you today, verses 12 through 14. The prophet Jeremiah says this. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray for me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore, say restore. God is a God of restoration. It's part of our church's vision to to be the church and to restore. He says, I will restore your fortunes 
and gather you from all the nations and the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. If you're taking notes, he's letting them know it's just the beginning. And that growing in intimacy with Jesus results in restoration. That when we begin to hear the invitation of Jesus to actually grow in intimacy with him, he begins to restore us and then begins to restore others around us. A couple weeks ago, my wife Cindy and I got away for a marriage retreat. It wasn't the first time. We've been on a number of them. Uh, You know, it wasn't just a, a retreat that was about rest. That was a part of it. It was also about doing some of the work of renewal and restoration. There there was some other pastors present. There was, you know, a couple that were kind of counseling and facilitating. And it was a hard couple of days as we got going. Because in many ways, what was happening was, you you know, you ever walked into one of, how many of you are married? We got some married folks in the room, okay, online too. You can raise your hand to the chat host. I mean, how many of us, like, you come to that, and you're like, man, I hope they call out everything wrong in my spouse. <laughs> like, y'all, I filled out the assessment. I filled out the inventory. I know you read it. I've been praying. It's time. Like, whoo, here we go. I got somebody to fight for me in this room. It's human nature, right? And, and yet the entirety of this retreat was about this invitation to intimacy with the Lord that had nothing to do with what I was doing right or wrong or what Cindy was doing right or wrong, but, but was really about as you grow with the Lord and in intimacy with him, you begin to be restored, and, and then you share that with your near one, your neighbor, who, if you're married, begins in the home. And then it kind of flows from there to our kids and to our neighborhoods, in our church. So I don't know about you, but my heart behind this series is that we would hear this invitation from Jesus to intimacy, that we would hear him calling us to grow with him, that that would lead to greater levels of restoration that we get to share with those around us, that we'll see reconciliation in marriages, reconciliation with homes, kids, grandkids, reconciliation with neighbors. I know you don't like their pool or their fence or whatever they've done on the HOA, but, but what if, what if the Lord's inviting you to believe for something greater and bigger that he can do in this season, amen? Last few questions for you. Just next steps, and then I'm gonna read a text over us says, are you living freely for Jesus and his shalom? Are you really living for this? If not, today can be a starting point to say that my faith is meant for more than just a Sunday morning. Amen? To live freely for him and his shalom. Secondly, are you living larger than the lies and trusting his promises? Living larger than some of the things maybe that have held you back and tried to hold on to you and keep you from the things of God. Again, search for his promises and his truth. And third, are you growing with Jesus and sharing the restoration journey with others? 
part of the beauty of those God at work moments, whether it's a video today that we watched or a live moment, is when we hear testimonies of what God has done for others, we begin to see how he might be able to do it for us. Well, guess what? If he's doing something in your life, people need to know. People need to hear about it. We need to share it freely so that others know how good God is. Amen? So let me close with a few verses from Ephesians chapter 1. That's part of this invitation to intimacy and to restoration. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, say in him, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him in things in heaven and things on earth. Let me pray over this and pray over us. And then we're gonna go into into a time of response this morning and receiving communion and really receiving the shalom of God together. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your word. It is so rich. We are just in awe of your grace and mercy and love. We thank you, Jesus, that you redeem us. You renew us. You restore us. You invite us to live freely with you and to share you with the world around us. May it begin now in this moment as we bring everything to you, our whole life. We ask that Jesus, this time of communion would just be filled with your presence and your shalom. In Jesus' name, amen. This might be the typical part of the service where you might start to pack up your things start to think about what's next think about where you're going i would just ask that as we uh, come to the lord's table together that you would really dig in right now and in these days we have been amen we've been really getting real with god with our stuff with the things we think about with the things we feel so that is what this moment is and should be about if you're online now would be a great time to go get something in your kitchen in your pantry uh, if you haven't yet to prepare for for communion together Um, i have a list because we are going to go back to a way we used to receive communion i'm excited about that we're going to come forward and receive the elements Uh, and i just thought i was saying this week to the team we've been coming forward so much lately, it just seems appropriate for us to come forward uh, for communion this morning. So um, here are the approaching instructions. 
<laughs> because it's, it's, if, it, if you do it, it works well. But so these two center sections, okay, you're going to go toward the center, come up the middle aisle, and then come back to your seats on the inside interior aisles. Okay, so even if you're Dave Brown over here, he's gonna go all the way down to the middle and then he's gonna go out and then he's right there to see when he goes back. If you're in the outside sections, you go toward the wall and you come up from the wall side and then you come up these interior aisles as well. Does that make sense? Okay, it's gonna work, I promise. <laughs> if you can't physically come up, if, if you need to be served the elements this morning, simply when we get to that moment, just simply raise your hand and an usher will bring the elements to you. And I want to remind you that the, the elements will be in two cups. There's a cup with the bread and then a cup of juice on top of it. So it's a double cup. So when you pick your elements from the tray, just make sure you pick two cups up and uh, you'll have what you need when we take communion together. I think the ushers can come forward at this time, and I'm just going to talk real quick and read a couple scriptures about what this is. Communion for Jesus was about remembering him and allowing the Spirit of God to examine ourselves. Remembering Jesus and what he did for you and allowing the Spirit of God to examine yourself so that you might lay down anything that you're holding on to, to him in thanksgiving, uh, to him for who he is and what he's done for you. So listen to the word of God, just a few verses and then we'll, then we'll approach. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 1 Corinthians 11, which is typically the, the communion passage. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And then finally, a really, I think it's an amazing verse that's tucked into Lamentations. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. That might be you this morning. Test and examine your ways. Let the spirit of God do that and return to him. And let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Amen. So with that, let's stand and let's approach and get our elements. And then we will partake together when you get back to your seats. God bless you.
He is that shalom over us. Hopefully you found, if you're here, the small cracker underneath the cup. If you'll hold that, Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you that you took the cross. We thank you for what this represents. You are not just the one who died. You are the one who offers us the bread of life. So Father, refresh us, renew us, restore us as we acknowledge and repent of our sins. In Jesus' name, you may take the bread in remembrance of him. And the juice symbolizes his atoning sacrifice, a blood like no others, a blood that is holy and pure and covers us. So Father, we thank you for your blood that as you cover us, we are set free from our sins. We are filled with your grace, your spirit and power to live for you. We thank you, Jesus that you loved us enough to lay down your life. And we thank you for the juice and your blood that it symbolizes. In Jesus' name, you may take this cup in remembrance of him. I told you it was gonna be a good morning, amen? To be the church always comes secondary to be in his. And hopefully that's the heart you heard today throughout the service. It's this invitation that God says, I love you. I've got plans for you. I wanna invite you to more than you ever could have imagined. And now I wanna put you in a family together with other believers to experience why I put you here on earth. It's just the beginning, church of the greatest adventure of getting to know him and make him known that we could ever experience. If you'll stand with me, I'm gonna pray one last time a blessing over you. If you've made a decision and wanna talk to somebody or you'd like prayer from one of our prayer partners or some of our staff, we're gonna be up here and available. We've pressed against time a little bit today, so you can leave, but you can also linger and we'll be here and available to you, amen? Father, we love you and praise you. Thank you again for an incredible morning. The invitation to this adventure to be yours and to be your church. Father, I pray that your love would grow in us. It would overflow through us this week. Thank you for all that you're doing. Continue to bring your shalom, your wholeness, your healing, your restoration, to make wrong things right. Use our lives this week to really love others and love our community well. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Go now and be the church.